All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Luke. In this section, we are going to be looking at Luke 13, verses 10 through 21. From 12, 1 through 13, 9, really, we were on the same occasion. Jesus was teaching. A crowd of people was gathered around him. He was focused on his disciples, but he was also teaching the crowd. And at times, he would interact with people from the crowd who would ask him questions or mention things to him. And so that's what we saw from 12, 1 all the way up through 13, 9. Uh, but here now we shift gears to a new setting, a new occasion, and really a new kind of uh, encounter. We have here a miracle story. So we, we moved from a teaching occasion to a miracle story, but even this miracle story culminates with two sayings about uh, the way the kingdom of God grows. All right, so let's jump in and look at the details. Luke 13, verse 10. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So here's our new setting. We're inside a synagogue building. So when you picture the story in your mind, picture not outside, but inside, inside a synagogue building. In fact, this is actually the last mention of a synagogue in the Gospel of Luke. So here's Jesus in a synagogue, and he's in a synagogue on the Sabbath. Um, you, you got to hear that in their terms. This is the Sabbath day, which is technically Saturday, but the most important thing is the theological context for first century Jews. No work on the Sabbath, right? Uh, that no work even included some rules by some of their teachers about what kind of situations could merit medical attention on the Sabbath and which kinds of situations could not. So uh, we're on the Sabbath no work, and lots of uh, traditional regulations about what constituted work, okay? So there's Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there, verse 11, and there was a woman there inside the synagogue. There was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent over double and could not straighten up at all. So a couple things to note. She is sick. Uh, she's been obviously sick for a long time, 18 years, and this sickness is caused by a spirit. And so some sort of malady that Jesus discerns is actually caused by some sort of evil spirit. Um, and so this snapshot will show Jesus confronting two different powers. The power of the spirit, the evil spirit who's caused the sickness, and the power we'll see very shortly of the synagogue ruler, the synagogue leader. These are the two powers Jesus is going to confront in this snapshot. Here's what happens. Um, when Jesus saw this woman, verse 12, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are free from your sickness. Notice that Jesus initiates the healing. She doesn't ask for it. Uh, Jesus initiates it. He sees her, he calls her over, and he heals her. And this is actually consistent in Luke's gospel. When Jesus heals on the Sabbaths, he's the one who initiates those healings all the time in Luke's gospel. And that's most likely because the people wouldn't ask for him to heal because in their worldview, their cultural context, it didn't make sense to ask him to do so because right, you, you weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath and you know medical attention constituted work, at least most of them. And so they wouldn't do it on the Sabbath. But Jesus 
Jesus sees the air of this approach to the Sabbath and sees this air of an understanding of the law. And so he challenges the air by initiating healings on the Sabbath. And I think that's really important to recognize in the Gospel of Luke. So Jesus calls her over uh, and said to her, Woman, you are free from your sickness. In verse 13, he laid his hands on her as a demonstration of his power to heal her. And immediately she stood up straight and began glorifying God. So immediately her disease is cured. Uh, whatever malady it was, whatever role the Spirit played, all of that's taken care of and eliminating. And this woman now, for the first time in 18 years, is no longer bent over and hunched over. She can stand up straight. And she begins glorifying God, praising God that this has happened and that she has been freed from this malady. Well, how does the synagogue ruler respond to this? Verse 14, the synagogue leader, indignant, he's angry. The synagogue leader, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days which work should be done, so come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. Notice his response. He's angry, but he does not deny that a healing happened. He doesn't question Jesus' power to heal. It's like, come and do it a different day. Just don't do it today. So he doesn't question Jesus' power to heal. He says that healing constitutes work. There are six days during which work should be done. So Jesus' healing constitutes work. Uh, and so he tells people, come the other six days of the week, I'm not on the Sabbath. Remember, the people didn't come to get healed. Jesus initiated it. She didn't come to be healed. Um, I, I kind of wonder if the synagogue leader is trying to pre prevent you know, next Saturday, on the next Sabbath, let's not have a bunch of people show up with diseases and expect Jesus to heal them. Or don't go get your people right now and bring them here so Jesus can heal them. I, I kind of wonder if he's trying to prevent people from coming, seeing what happened, and he's afraid maybe they're going to go get others. I'm not totally sure, but that's certainly what it sounds like. Uh, and he's saying there's, there's other days to do it. That's the whole point, though. Jesus is actually challenging this guy's assumptions about, uh, about work and about the Sabbath and about what it means to do good on the Sabbath and what constitutes work. So here's how Jesus responds to the synagogue ruler, verse 15. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does each of you on the Sabbath not untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to water? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this restraint on the Sabbath day? So Jesus confronts the synagogue ruler by calling him a hypocrite and is really incredulous about just think through the logic of your actions. Um, and the idea of a hypocrite means appearing to be something that you're not. How does that apply here? Well, it seems that Jesus is suggesting this guy, the synagogue ruler, the one who's in charge of the whole synagogue service, organizing it, arranging it, making sure it goes off without a hitch, right? He's in charge of the whole uh, synagogue and how the whole service comes together. By calling him a hypocrite, Jesus is implying that this guy appears to care about God's things. He's the leader of the worship service for God's people, after all. But he doesn't even care for this, this daughter of Abraham at all. 
all he really cares about is his erroneous understanding of the law. And that's why Jesus calls him a hypocrite. And notice the imagery Jesus uses. He's just like, just think about the logic of your actions. You will untie an ox or a donkey on the Sabbath and walk it to water so it can get drink and have compassion for your ox or your donkey, right? And care for it. Here's a woman. She's been bound up for 18 years. And shouldn't she also be released from her restraint on the Sabbath day? And those two words, untie and released are actually the same word in Greek. You'll loose a donkey or you'll loose an ox on the Sabbath day, but you're not going to loose a woman who has been bound? So it's the same word, untie, release, loose. And she's been bound by Satan. Like uh, As far as Jesus is concerned, this, this malady, uh, this spirit that was causing it, ultimately means she's she's been under the bondage of Satan for 18 long years. Don't you think I should undo his work just because it's the Sabbath? Should, should I not do that? Should I not actually undo Satan's work for a daughter of Abraham? And this is really why Jesus initiates these healings on the Sabbath. He's really challenging them to think through their erroneous views of what the Sabbath is about and what the Sabbath is for. And yes, you say you want to honor God on the Sabbath and you've built up all these traditions that you think are helping you honor God, but they've gotten in the way of actually doing the kinds of things that God cares about. And so that's Jesus' challenge. Verse 17 then states the result. As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated. So those who were opposed to Jesus and hostile to Jesus, like the synagogue leader, they're being, they're being shamed. They're being disgraced. And the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. They're celebrating the good things that Jesus is doing. And the crowd really embodies the proper kind of response to to Jesus and to what Jesus is doing. And they are evidence that God's kingdom is working and God's kingdom is growing through Jesus. And so that leads into two statements, two sayings about the kingdom of God, showing how the kingdom of God is going to start small and seem hidden, but it's eventually going to grow and permeate everything. So verse 18, he says, so he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and it became a tree, and even the birds of the air nested in its branches. The first really important thing to notice is that word so in verse 18 is literally therefore. So it's stating a direct connection with what proceeded with the woman in the synagogue service. Therefore, he was saying. So because all of what happened in the synagogue, because of the people rejoicing, therefore, what's the kingdom of God like? It's all of that that motivates Jesus to talk about the kingdom of God. And so the connection seems to be what you're seeing and what you're experiencing is the kingdom of God coming among you. And the reason Jesus wants to clarify this is because the expectation in their culture was for the kingdom of God to show up big, to show up with power, right? For the kingdom of God to come in and destroy the Romans and expel them from their land. But here's how it actually worked. It's like a seed. 
a seed that's small and a guy throws it into the soil in his garden and it, it slowly grows and then eventually becomes a tree, a tree that's so big the birds of the sky can nest in it. That's how the kingdom of God works. He goes on and he gives another parable or another little statement really that uh, restates this same imagery. He says in verse 20, again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three sata of flour until it was all leaven. Sata was is just a unit of measurement. Um, in this most recent edition of the New American Standard, which is the translation I'm using, oftentimes they've tro chosen to just state the, the units of measurement in the original language rather than clarify them. And I'm not totally sure of the motivation behind that. But a sata was a unit of measurement, and it was a large amount. Uh, one sata roughly equates to about 20 pounds of flour. So three sata, we're talking about 50, 60 pounds of flour. This is a, a lot of flour, and, and that's the comparison here. This woman takes a little bit of leaven and works it into an awful lot of flour, and, and guess what? The whole thing gets leaven. And so it's a picture, once again, of the slow permeating work of the kingdom. This time it's like a little bit of leaven working through an awful lot of dough. It's hidden, it's invisible, but it's at work nonetheless, and it changes everything. That's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like seed. The kingdom of God is like leaven that's small and hidden and works slowly and affects everything eventually. So let me just offer just a couple reflections on this story just to wrap it up. Really, two, two profound truths about the kingdom of God that we need to make sure we see in this episode. The first is the kingdom of God frees people from the power of Satan. The kingdom of God frees people from the power of Satan. You really have two kingdoms at work. Satan's kingdom, the power of Satan, um, and the kingdom of God. And that's the, the confrontation in the story with this gal who's been bound by Satan, Jesus says, and Jesus bringing God's kingdom, which is setting her free. You hear this same sort of teaching in the, for example, the letters of the Apostle Paul, where he says, you were delivered from the, the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Two contrasting kingdoms. And so the kingdom of God is an invitation to be free from the power of Satan and to live in the rule and the reign of a good and gracious God. The kingdom of God frees people from the power of Satan. The second reflection I would offer out of this is uh, the kingdom of God is like seed and like leaven. It's small and it's hidden and you don't always see its work. And sometimes it's not always, you're not always sure what actually is happening, but it's powerful and it's working and it's making huge changes in the lives of people. And so the kingdom of God starts small like a seed, like leaven, and yet it actually works powerfully. And I, I think there's a lot of encouragement in that not only for us personally in our own life and our own experience of the kingdom, but in our own service to God and in our own efforts to, to live and expand and share the kingdom and to be really lights for the kingdom, that oftentimes our work is like seed and it's like leaven and it doesn't seem like much is going on and it seems so small and the work seems so slow, but don't minimize the work and the power of God's kingdom. It's like seed and it's like leaven. It's small and hidden, but it's powerfully working.